like to invite all of you to turn with me in your Bibles. We're going to be reading from 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. We didn't use cleverly phrased fiction when we told you about the power of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majesty with our own eyes. We were with him on the Mount of Transfiguration when we saw a preview of his coming. He was invested with the glory and power he had before coming to this earth. The Father himself spoke to us from that magnificent cloud which covered us, saying, This is my Son, with whom I am very pleased. Listen to what he has to say. Yes, we actually heard God's voice speaking to us from heaven. All this happened right here on the mountain before our very eyes. Now our brother Dean will bring us this morning's message. A letter from Simon Peter, the big fisherman. Good morning, everyone. And a warm welcome to all of our visitors. A letter from Simon Peter. This morning I'd like to uh, bring you that letter. He writes a story to us in the hope that we all may learn from it and that perhaps we would not make the same mistakes in our lives that he made. Before we begin that letter, let's bow our heads, please. Eternal Father, we're thankful again this morning to be in your, your house here, worshiping you. Lord, help us today to learn from the scriptures something that will help us on our pathway to the kingdom and the new earth. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Peter writes as follows, Do you realize how hard it is to let your life story all hang out there for all to see? All my mistakes, my blunders, my terrible failures, that night when I cursed and swore that I did not know my friend and my master, I felt like killing myself. But let me begin with my early memories. I grew up beside my favorite place, Lake Galilee. My early memories were pleasant ones. I did not have much schooling, so I loved to go down to the lake and watch the fishermen. After a while, they let me help them fish. During my early years, I had some training with the rabbis. I knew of a promised Redeemer and Messiah. The rabbis taught me that it was in the long-distant future. My teachers linked the coming of the Messiah with the deliverance of Rome. This was their main theme. All my friends thought the same way. We wanted out from under the Roman yoke. In my 20s, I joined some friends in the fishing business. We were successful. History tells us that there are 53 different kinds of fish in Lake Galilee. By now, I had a wife and family and my mother to support, so I worked very hard. That day was like any other day. The sun was full with no clouds in the sky. This day would change my life forever. I had no idea what was about to happen to me. I was just getting ready to go fishing, getting my net ready to cast into the sea close to the shoreline when I noticed a stranger walking along the shore coming toward me. My friend John records it best in his gospel, chapter 4. Quote, and Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. 
Now, I had responsibilities. I had the business to run and the family to support and fish to catch. But this stranger was different. It was as if he knew me all his life when he first met me. He could see right through me, it seemed, to my inner soul. He spoke with a mixture of authority and unmistakable kindness. It was a very impressive thing I did. I immediately left my fishing and left my boat right there by the shore and started walking with this stranger. I felt something strange in my heart that I had never experienced before. My friend Matthew recorded it best when he wrote in his gospel, and they straightway left their nets and followed him. Later, the stranger... Andrew and I were walking along the shore, and we came upon my fishing buddies, James and John. Now, we knew John quite well. He had a reputation. He was just a young teenager. I had my faults aplenty, but my friends, they had something I felt was worse. My, my mouth was foul, and I was impulsive, but when I was compared to James and John, well, they were really bad. <clears throat> they had nicknames. Everyone called them the, thuns of, the sons of thunder. They were wild ones. I stood in wonderment as I heard Jesus make the same call to them as he had made to me. Come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, the stranger said. Young John was only in his late teens at the time. I could not believe it. They both did the same thing Andrew and I had done. They just left their father with the fishing nets and the boat and started walking with us along the shoreline of Lake Galilee. Well, then, from then on, it really started to get exciting. We followed this stranger all through Galilee. He went into all the synagogues and, and listened intently to what was being preached. He kept on talking about the gospel of the kingdom and talking about his father's kingdom. We all stood absolutely amazed as we watched him heal all manner of diseases, even those that we thought were possessed with devils and even lunatics. And at times he would walk through a whole village and everyone would be healed. He just spoke and it was done. Often, other times he just touched them and the healing was instant. Other times they just reached out a hand and touched his robe and the person was healed. We had never seen anything like this in our lives. Privately, some of us were talking to each other, saying, we are on to something here, really, really big. He healed everyone that they brought to him. With this, his fame spread everywhere. Multitudes tried to follow him. They came from beyond Jordan, from Syria, from Judea, from Jerusalem. I began to wonder in the midnight hours when I could not sleep, is this the Messiah we had waited for so long? The one Isaiah and the prophets foretold? The mix of personalities was interesting and at times very difficult. These men that he asked to follow him. He unfolded truths from the scriptures to us that the rabbis had never done. Something was different about him. One day we noted that he was quite thoughtful. He told us that he had something special he wanted us to hear. He took us up to the mountainside and he began unfolding truths we had never heard before. The rabbis had never talked like this to us, ever. 
I had studied the Ten Commandments, but his teaching made them come alive. On this particular day, he told us things that stirred our souls. My friend Matthew told of this day in his gospel, chapter 5. But I can remember it word for word. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Later on, he explained to me that meant blessed are the humble, those that do not see themselves as better than other people. Next, he said, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, this statement fit what I had seen in him as he was always concerned about those less fortunate and the poor and the downtrodden. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. He said next, we interpreted this as the kingdom to come that he kept talking about. He kept saying his kingdom and his father's kingdom was not of this earth. Next he said, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. This one really caught our attention. He had been telling us that if we were to seek the kingdom of God, then everything else would be added to us. The fishing business seemed to be a distant memory almost immediately. He had been telling us that if we were to seek the first the kingdom of God, then everything, everything would be added to us. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy, he said. This one was hard for me because I had been brought up with a tooth for a tooth and an eye for an eye. But as I watched him day by day, I began to understand the truth of what he was saying. One day he said it even more clearly, that if you forgive men their trespasses against you, then your heavenly Father will forgive your sins against him. That made it all come into focus. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This one made my ears perk up instantly. As we went along with him the next few days, he explained in further detail. He meant that one must turn his back on sin. He must go deep into the intellect and the heart where the motives are and determine to follow Jesus all the way. Forsaking sin is a ruling principle in the life. Later, my friend Paul used to preach a similar theme. Paul wrote, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching for those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I was absolutely enthralled as I sat there before him listening to these wonderful themes of living. He next came to this one. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. There was nothing I wanted more than to be a true disciple of this person that I now call the Messiah. And he was saying that if I would become a peacemaker, I would be a child of this heavenly king he was talking about. Next, he talked about being blessed if I were ever to be persecuted for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He was talking about his father's kingdom again. And he went further and said, Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven. 
These things I had never heard before, and it was almost too much to take in in one afternoon. It was getting dark now, and I went to try to sleep. I had difficulty trying to sleep, trying to understand in my mind these wonderful things I had heard. A few days after this, we went into our boat to cross Lake Galilee. When we started out, the sea was calm and peaceful. Out in the middle of the lake, however, the storm suddenly started. We thought our lives were over. The waves were so high, they were washing into our boat. Jesus was with us, and he was sleeping. We shouted to him, we shall perish. He said, why are you fearful? O you of little faith. He next rose and stood up in that boat and rebuked the wind and the waves, and they obeyed him instantly. It was the most amazing thing I had ever seen. Instantly, the sea was flat. It was like these waves and sea knew him. A short time later, the other disciples and I went into the boat to cross Galilee again, and all of us loved the water. We had grown up on the water, but this storm was fierce, and we were again afraid of our lives. All of a sudden, we saw a shining figure walking on the water. We were frightened out of our minds. We thought it was a ghost. We cried out in great fear. The words came over the roar of the wind. Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. I impulsively answered, Lord, if it is you, bid me to come to thee on the water. I stepped out onto the water. I was actually walking on the water, going towards Jesus. Suddenly I realized what I was doing and the waves were frightening. I was very afraid, and I looked at the big waves. I began to sink. I cried out over the waves, Lord, save me. But then I knew this was really the Lord. He reached out his hand and pulled me up, and we walked back to the boat together on the water. And then I was afraid no more. Again, immediately the storm was over. It flashed through my mind that the storm and the waves knew who this was. How can this be? Before he came to land, we worshipped him, saying of a truth, You are the Son of God. Matthew tells us what happened next. And when they had gone over, they came into the land of the Genesaret. And when the men of that place had knowledge of him, they sent out into all the country round about and brought unto him all that were diseased and besought him, that they might only touch the hem of his garment, and as many as touched him. They just touched him, and they were made whole. I could not even count all the miracles he did. Countless people were healed. In fact, my friend and fellow disciple, John, later wrote, And there were many other things which Jesus did, which if they should be written, every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. That's how John ended his gospel, with those incredible words. During my three years with him, I was increasingly convinced that this man was the Son of God. His own people, descendants of David, were constantly trying to trick him and put him to death. And all the while, he kept on healing people, telling amazing stories. He called them parables. These parables were always telling some truth about his salvation and about his father's kingdom. Most of my disciple friends thought that he was to be a king over earthly Israel. 
Our minds seemed to be cloudy. We did not understand everything then. Toward the end, I was convinced that he was the Son of God. One time, other followers left him, and he asked us, Will you also leave me? I remember that I spoke up and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. It was a mixture of shock and wonderment, frustration and anger when Judas betrayed him, because Judas was one of us. In the Garden of Gethsemane, I became so enraged when they bound Jesus, and I took out my sword and started swinging in the darkness for heads, but I cut off the high priest's servant's ear. Jesus suddenly broke the ropes that bound him, and he reached down to the ground, picked up the ear, placed it back on his head. I could not believe it. He told me to put up my sword and said something about the cup my father gave me. Shall I not drink it? Shall I not drink it? Then I remembered his words. My kingdom is not of this world. I also, through my tears, remembered something Isaiah wrote as I watched him allow them to tie him again. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Again, I tell you, I was devastated and confused. This was not what I had planned to happen. I followed afar off when they took him away to Anna's judgment hall. John went in and I stood at the door and finally had enough courage to go inside. They were humiliating him there. One of the girls seemed to recognize me as one of his followers. I immediately denied it. She came back at me again two more times. Both times I vehemently denied I knew him. Finally, I swore to everyone, I know not this man, and I cursed. I saw him look at me. I read in his eyes disappointment, but yet tenderness, and yet love. I ran away and wept until there were no more tears. I later went and watched him from afar off as they hung him on that cross. John and some of his women followers were braver than I. They went up close to the cross. I remembered the words, I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. By this time, I was heartbroken and carried huge guilt. I had denied I knew my friend and the one whom I believed to be the Son of God. I had denied him. Oh, the earthquake and the darkness that came about when he was on that cross, I thought I would die. The earth shook so violently, I thought this was the end of my life. That darkness was so dense, I could not see anything. I could not see my hand in front of my face. I could not even see a person right next to me. As terrible as that was, my guilt was the worst of all. I heard a rumor that a Roman soldier, a centurion at the foot of the cross, had said amazing words. Truly, this is the Son of God. That just made my guilt worse. I had also heard that Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea went and got Jesus' body and took it down and placed it in Joseph's tomb at the risk of their own lives. They did this before the Sabbath on Friday afternoon. That Sabbath, we disciples met and tried to sort things out. 
We were devastated. We heard that the huge veil in the temple covering the most holy place had mysteriously been torn from top to bottom at the moment that Jesus died on the cross. It was all too much for us to understand. That Sunday morning, I was awakened with a mighty earthquake again. Again, I thought I would die. A short time later, Mary and the other women who had been with him at the foot of the cross suddenly pounded on my door. And Mary was trying to talk through her tears. His tomb is empty, she said. The stone is rolled away. Two men in white told us he is risen, risen from the dead. And Peter, oh Peter, I saw him. Peter, I thought he was the gardener, but when he said, be not afraid, then I knew his voice. Peter, he said to go tell his disciples, and Peter, he mentioned you by name. Peter, he mentioned your name. Go and tell Peter also that he is risen. I could hardly run. I was shaking so bad, and I was crying for joy. Oh, Peter... He is alive. Peter, I saw him. I started running with John to go and see for myself. John outran me. We saw the tomb was empty. The massive stone had been rolled away. It's further written, I cried for joy and I felt that somehow he had forgiven me. I was absolutely emotionally drained. I needed some rest. Some 2,000 years after the event we are talking about, a modern songwriter wrote these words. It was as though Peter had written them himself. The title is, He's Alive. The gates and doors were barred. The windows were bound down. I spent the night in sleeplessness. I rose at every sound, half in hopeless sorrow, half in fear of the day would find the soldiers breaking through to drag us all away. Just before the sunrise, I heard something at the wall. The gate began to rattle, a voice began to call. I hurried to the window and looked down onto the street, expecting swords and torches and the sound of soldiers' feet. There was no one there but Mary, so I went down to let her in. John stood there beside me as she told us where she had been. She said they moved him in the night. None of us knows where. The stone had been rolled away, and now his body isn't there. We both ran toward the garden. Then John ran on ahead. We found the stone, and the empty tomb was just as Mary had said. But the winding sheet they'd wrapped him in was just an empty shell. Now, how or where they had taken him was more than I could tell. There was something strange that happened here, just what I didn't know. John believed a miracle, but I just turned to go. Circumstances and speculation couldn't lift me very high at that time because I had seen them crucify him. Then I saw him die, but I was from a distance. Back inside the house again, the guilt and anguish came. Everything I had promised him just added to my shame and my guilt. Because at last when he came to choices, I had denied I knew his name. Even if he were alive, it wouldn't be the same. Then suddenly the air was filled with strange, sweet perfume. The light 
that came from everywhere drove the shadows from the room. And Jesus stood before me with his arms open wide. I fell to my knees and clung to him and cried. He raised me to my feet as I looked into his eyes. Love was shining out from him like sunlight from the skies. Guilt and my confusion disappeared in sweet release. Every fear that I had just melted into peace. He's alive, he's alive, he's alive. And I am forgiven. Heaven's gates are open wide. He's alive, he's alive. He's alive. Now back to Peter's letter. The thing that gave me the most comfort was to go out Galilee fishing on my favorite lake. My friend John recorded in this in his book. Simon Peter said unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, We go also with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night caught nothing. Nothing. When the morning was come now, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not where that it was Jesus. But Jesus saith unto them, Children, have you any meat? And we answered, No. This person on the shore told us to put our net on the other side of the boat. We immediately had so many fish we could not draw in the net. John suddenly cried out to me, Peter, it's the Lord. I immediately put on my cloak and jumped into the water and splashed wildly to shore. I just had to see Jesus ahead of everybody else. I had to know that I was forgiven. I splashed ashore and fell on my knees. His look was all I needed. I knew I was forgiven. Jesus had a meal prepared of bread and fish. He asked me, Peter, do you love me? Oh, yes, Lord, I, I, I do love you. Then feed my sheep. But Jesus asked me again, lovest thou me? And I said, yes, Lord, I love you. He said, then feed my sheep. Again, he asked me the same. I assured him that I loved him. And he said again, feed my sheep. My guilt was gone. I now had the commission from the Son of God to be a disciple, a minister, and to tell the greatest story ever told. The salvation from sin in Jesus and to point people to the glory of the heavenly country that was to come. I tell you bluntly, if I can be forgiven, so can you. One major truth I learned walking with God for three years, he taught me to never, ever look at my brother or my sister and compare myself to them. Only and always look to Jesus and him crucified. I heard my friend Paul say one day, that he was the worst of sinners. No, I said in my heart silently, I am. I started remembering some of the life-changing truths that Jesus had talked about during our three years together. There is only one name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Another time, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And then he said one day, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life 
just as an aside, I never will forget HMS Richard Sr. sermon on this subject. He found so many places in First and Second John and this verse where it's present tense. You can have everlasting life right now, right here. At the end of the three years, we asked, he asked us to meet him in Galilee after his resurrection. We 11 disciples went out to a place he appointed us. He suddenly met us there. We worshipped him. And he said to us, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. He suddenly started rising off the earth right before us, we couldn't believe our eyes. He kept on going up into the sky. All of us witnessed this. We watched him until we could see him no longer. We remembered his words that he told us, I will come again with thousands upon thousands of my angels, and my reward will be with me, and I will take you home with me. My hand is getting tired of writing now. I have more to tell you, and I will do so in a second letter to come. I will tell you then about the rest of my life and about my assurance that one day I will be with you if you choose to go there in my friend's heavenly kingdom. I leave you now with the words from Scripture. My fellow disciple John wrote in his gospel, John 20, verse 31, but these things are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Signed, Peter, the big fisherman. I thought this morning we would close our service with some writings that the big fisherman left to us. Went through First and Second Peter, picking out verses that seemed to just jump off the page at me personally. 1 Peter 1, 7. The trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found under praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Our church has had many tragedies in the last few years, and these verses from Peter, I think, should give us all courage. First Peter two, twenty three and twenty four, who when he was reviled and reviled and not ag- he reviled not again, when he suffered he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body, on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes we are healed. 1 Peter 3.12 For the eyes of the Lord are ever on the righteous and his ears are open. His ears are open unto their prayers but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. 1 Peter 3.22 Who is gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God angels and authorities and powers being subject unto him. 1 Peter 3, verses 12 and 13.
Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding gladness. 1 Peter 5, verse 4. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables, which when we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses, eyewitnesses of his majesty. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 3 and 4. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Verse 8. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. But then he says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men, men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Verse 12, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new word, New earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. The last verse, 2 Peter 3, verse 18. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. You know, if Peter had not followed that stranger that day, his name would be forgotten. We would not be reading about him as we have this morning. And one other thing. His name would not be written on the foundation stone of the New Jerusalem, which it is. And one day we will see it. Amen and amen. Our closing song is 216. When the roll is called up yonder, number 216, an old favorite. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more, the morning breaks eternal bright and fair. When the saved of earth shall gather over on the other shore, Called up yonder, I'll be there. When the roar is called up yonder, when the roar is called up yonder, when the roar is called up yonder, 
Gracious Lord and Father of us all, Jesus, our Redeemer, Lord, we're thankful this morning for the scriptures that we've heard. Help us, Lord, to let these scriptures penetrate into our deepest soul, the deepest part of ourselves, and may it spring forth into sharing the good news with everyone we meet. And again, as we leave this place, help us to always remember we are entering the mission field. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Amen.